Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is brought to you by ROI Online. Most business leaders struggle with how to transition from traditional marketing into modern marketing. ROI Online has a team of experts that makes it easy. They help you make a plan and then do most of the work to set you up for success. ROI can guide you to success at ROIOnline.com. Hey, Amarillo is also brought to you by Excel Energy. If your Excel Energy bill seems to have gotten a little lighter over the past month, that's because the factor used to calculate fuel costs on your bill has shrunk. This reflects lower natural gas prices and a significant investment in economical, clean sources of electricity. We'll talk about that more later in the episode. Today's guest is Steve Kirsch, and if you have a television and an interest in the weather, you probably don't need much more of an introduction than that. Steve came to Amarillo in 1997, and he became the chief meteorologist at KVII-TV, which is known today as ABC7. Now, I've known Steve since his very first days in Amarillo. We met pretty soon after he moved here. And since local people are always interested in the weather, and since this is storm season, I thought it was time to let Steve tell his story and talk to us about the Panhandle weather. It turns out there's a lot more to being a TV meteorologist than what you see on the evening news. Here's Steve Kirsch. Steve Kirsch, welcome to the Hamarillo Podcast. I appreciate you being here. Glad to be here. Appreciate being asked. So you're the first weather guy that uh, I've talked to, and I know everybody is interested in weather uh, just because of where we live. But I assume that you have a life beyond <laughs> the TV news and watching the sky and that I sort try. of thing. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Okay. Tell me how you how you got into your career. You know, in the first mm-hmm. place, what drew you to that? I've always been fascinated with the weather. It was one of those things that uh, my mom has a tape, a uh, reel-to-reel tape back in the 70s, of me tapping on the kitchen wall with a yardstick, talking about tornadoes and thunderstorms mm-hmm. coming down from Oklahoma to Texas, because I was just fascinated with the weather. And it just kind of grew from that. Uh, it was just one of those things when I was in elementary school, teachers let me put the forecast up on the chalkboard. I'm sure it was awful and wrong, but... Uh, I, I was just I always watched the weather, the six and ten o'clock weather back, mm-hmm. you know, for the five and nine and everything else we have nowadays. And uh, my parents realized too that they could punish me by not letting me watch the six and ten o'clock weather because it was such an important part of my life. So, I, you know, it, from that, when I was in junior high and high school, I focused on on weather, taking a lot of science and math, and and trying to gear myself toward trying to be a meteorologist on television and it, it was it's just kind of where where it grew from there briefly when i was in high schools on the debate team and thought about hmm maybe law would be something i would want to go into and i remember meeting with my high school counselor and, and i said you know what do you think about this and she said well, let me ask you a question if you're in a courtroom and there's a thunderstorm outside you're going to pay more attention to your client or the storm. And I was very honest. I said, the storm. She mm-hmm. goes, good, you'll be a terrible lawyer if you decide to go into law. But you didn't You didn't grow up in this area, did you? I did not. I, I lived about, let's see, about 12 years in Sherman, Texas, north of Dallas. My dad was a, a biology, microbiology, botany, and zoology teacher at a junior college there in, in Sherman, Grayson County Junior College. And so I uh, lived there up to when I was in sixth grade. I was going in sixth grade, and Dad decided to quit teaching. And we moved to the metropolis of Clifton, Texas, which is 
northwest of Waco. It's about the size of Dement. Okay. Uh, 3,000, 3,500 people. Uh, went from Sherman, which had a mall, a McDonald's, to a town that had a Dairy Queen. And that was it. And so it was, It's a, you know, like I said, it's about 35 miles northwest of Waco. So kind of similar to what a lot of small towns here in the Panhandle do. If you want to go out to eat or go to a movie, you go to Amarillo. Well, in Clifton, if you wanted to go out to eat or go to a movie, you went to Waco. Okay. And uh, graduated from Clifton High School in the late 80s. And so, it, you know, I'm a, I'm a small town person. My wife is, too. She's from a little town outside of Abilene called Albany. So we're both small town people. Where did you get your training in meteorology? I, I went to Texas A&M. I was, you know, the funny thing about when I was uh, in high school, there were really only two universities that had meteorology programs. And that's one of the things when I go speak to a lot of schools, a lot of kids say, hey, can I go to WT or can I go to Amarillo College and get a meteorology degree? And you can't. In uh, the Panhandle, Texas Tech has a, I think, a graduate program and not an undergrad. I think I'm right about that. Uh, OU has a, a very good mm-hmm. program. University of Kansas does. Uh, University of Missouri does. But not every community college or university has that. But at the time, it was A&M or St. Thomas University in Houston. And my dad's an Aggie. I have two uncles that are Aggies. So I went to A&M. The one thing that a lot of people, I think, are little misled about the science of meteorology is that every meteorologist is on television. That's really not the case. I had 125 people in a meteorology program when I was down at AM. Only three went into TV. Right. So it's, I mean, just in Amarillo, there are several that work at like the National Weather Service yes. and that sort of thing, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Southwest Airlines, American Airlines, UPS, FedEx, they all employ meteorologists. Weather Service is probably the biggest employer. And the military, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the guys and gals I went to school with at AM were going to be shipped to uh, either Air Force, uh, I think the Navy also has a lot of meteorologists for what they do, too. So they were going to go and then be trained by the military. And so that was the career path that they were they were choosing. How do those guys feel about the TV meteorologists? Is there like a divide? <laughs> I mean, is, is one uh, oh. jealous of the other? Do they see you as the the flashy guys that... There's a little bit, yeah, you know. Uh, I just want you to admit to having like a huge TV ego, and that's why you went into it. <laughs> I do not. You, you, know, you and I have been friends a long time, and I could say I, I, I try to not have the, the TV ego. There's plenty of people that do in this line of work, and I just kind of sit back and I go, really? Come on. You know, we're just, we're on TV, but uh, I, I consider it a, a gift, a, a pleasure to be on television, and, and, a, and a duty, a service. That we provide. And so I, you know, and if you think you're big and bad and awesome, and then try to uh, miss a snow forecast and all of a sudden you're nothing but a cockroach Your on the floor. Your failures are visible <laughs> and public and regular. I mean, just well, because the nature of the, I mean, not you personally, but yeah. <laughs> you're, you're going to be wrong a lot. And yes. when you're wrong, it's not hidden behind anything. No, it's it's out there, and there's nothing to do. To take it back, and people will remind you of that. And, right. You know, people are going to remember the failures more than the successes. You know, I make it the forecast for today completely right. No one remembers, but they'll because you sure. said it would be sunny, and it's sunny. You know, <laughs> it, yes, it, that's it, most of the time. It's it's pretty easy to hit. And snow is the worst thing to forecast. It's just, I, I tell people you have to have all your ducks in a row and they all have to be quacking for snow to fall. And people want to know when's it going to start? When's it going to end? Are the roads going to be bad? Can I make it to this? Can when I do, do I that? need to go to the store? Yes, that kind of thing too. And it, it's it's very, very tough to get for an area this large. You know, since we cover the whole 
panhandle in eastern New Mexico, that's it's real tough to get a snow forecast right for that whole area. Talk to me about coming to Amarillo in the first place. Mm-hmm. So you you went to A and M. You had uh, a few years before you came to Amarillo, but that was like in the nineties. I mean, you've been here for two decades now, I guess. Yeah, tw- going on twenty one years. Now. Okay, so tell me about the process of what you were doing then, and then how you got the opportunity to come and do the news and the weather here. It's kind of funny. Uh, one of the backstories about me coming here is I got this job in Amarillo because a meteorologist dropped an F-bomb off camera. Here in Amarillo. Here in Amarillo. Uh, I'm sure some no- people remember that. <laughs> they, they may. They may. Uh, but yeah, I was I was at A&M, and I guess in my junior year, I was offered a weekend meteorologist job at KCEN TV in Waco. And what that basically entails is a freelance deal. So I would go up there, I would drive up to, and it was, well, KCN has their studio in Eddy, Texas, which is between Temple and Waco. It's out in the cornfields, middle of nowhere, but they had offices in Waco, Temple, and Clean. So I would drive to Eddy, uh, do the weather on Saturday night. I had a guy I went to high school with at Clifton that was going to Baylor. I paid him 25 bucks to sleep on his couch Saturday night. That was a month. So I helped Big Brent. And then uh, would do the weather Sunday night and then drive back to College Station and, and go to school. Did that for my junior and senior year. And then when I graduated, I reported three days a week news stories. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was science, weather-related, but not always. And so I did that. I was down there for a total of five years. And really the Branch Davidian thing uh, was really what kind of turned the tables for me. I was down there for that. It was a just a huge debacle. And I, that's when I realized I'd don't want to do this anymore. You don't want to be reporting on those kinds of stories. No. And it was that. And then there was another time where I had done my story. I was in the newsroom and there was a shooting, uh, drug related shooting awake. And they said, Hey, Kirsch, go do this. So photographer went with me and I get out there and the guy's dead in the street. The police haven't even covered the body yet. And I told my wife, I said, I'm done. I'm just done with this. This is not what I want to do. So started looking for main weather jobs, you know, chief meteorologist positions. And a position came open in Abilene at KTXS. And that was, you know, my wife was from that area. So it was kind of coming back home for her. I uh, was there a couple years and then got a call from WFA in Dallas. And they said, hey, we'd like for you to come try out for our weekend spot. And I had grown up around Dallas, was a big fan of Troy Duncan. Uh, Troy is, uh, he wears a little bow tie. He's since retired, but he was kind of the weather icon in the area. And I thought, gosh, working for that guy would just be cool. I was able to do that, to try out for the job. And I was there for about two months. I was called into the office and uh, to meet with the news director. And he said, look, I want to tell you everything's going great. Uh, they have these focus groups you have to go through. I passed that test. They have all these other things you have to do where they test you out, passed all that. He said, so I had a contract ready for you to sign today. But I had to run this through a gentleman who's one of our news vice presidents. And he said, you're too soft-spoken and don't have enough hair. (laughs) Even back then. Even back then. And I was just sitting there going, oh, my gosh, really? And so uh, that was a real kind of a career changer for me because I thought, hey, going to the big city, going to Dallas, Houston, whatever, would just be cool. And I realized right there, it's not. It's just it's superficial. It's uh, everything that I really thought it wasn't, but it is. You know, that was a long drive back from there. We were still living in Abilene at the time. Uh, Long drive back to Abilene. And then I got a phone call from Channel 7. It was probably less than a week later. 
the gentleman on the other end of the line said, we have an immediate opening. We wow. had an incident off camera. How fast can you get here? So uh, my wife and I drove up here. I remember we were driving to Amarillo, and that time the interchange was flipped. I-27 went over I-40. Mm-hmm. And I remember crossing over I-27. I see this metallic-looking Pizza Hut building in downtown, and I said, honey, look at that stupid-looking building. She said, uh, honey, there's a seven on top of that stupid-looking Pizza Welcome Hut. Welcome to your new office. Welcome to your new... Yeah, and I just... I laughed, and but we were... We just... We felt welcome. I was offered the job. Uh, I took it after a lot of thought and prayer, and it's just been great. It's been an interesting ride there, but it's been a, a wonderful ride. Amarillo has a reputation for its weather, especially around here. Yeah. I, I wonder about that reputation elsewhere in the state. So coming into Amarillo, knowing that this job was open, did you have some preconceived ideas about what you were going to be doing in terms of the weather? And oh, were yeah. you like, okay, this is a good spot. Let's let's do this. Well, and you know, growing up in Central Texas, I'd always kind of wanted to work in the Panhandle because they had all four seasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, growing up down near Waco, we really had two seasons, and I call them uh, December and January, and then the rest of the year because December, January were cold or kind of cold, and the rest of the year was hot. I mean, I, we played golf in February; it's ninety degrees. And I tell people that around here, like, really? I'm like, yeah, it gets hot early and stays hot. And severe weather, I mean, they have some, but snow is rare. And lots of times they get ice down there. And I wanted to work in a place where it, it is a challenge to forecast because it's that makes it fun. But that you have all four seasons and Amarillo fit the bill. So whenever I got that call, I just felt like, wow, that's, yeah, this is cool. This could really be. And I had heard of Lynn Slesick, even, mm-hmm. you know, working in the business down in Abilene and Waco. And when I heard, oh, wow, that's the station that he worked at. He had retired when I was interviewed for the job here. And Jason Laney was the, the chief meteorologist then. I thought, wow, this is this is cool. And I knew that weather was a big deal. They have storm chasers. To me, it, it appealed and seemed to be a great fit. In the, the television news industry, that turnover is just a fact of life there. Oh, yeah. I mean, you'll have anchors and reporters just always moving up to the next place, mm-hmm. higher viewers. And it's the same way with weather. But you've been here for 20 years. Doppler Dave has been here for, what, 30 years? I think so, yeah. Uh, John Harris has been here. I mean, we've, we've got three chief meteorologists who are fixtures and have been here for decades. Yeah. Why is that? Like, I mean, you can talk about personally, why have you yeah. stayed here? But, I mean, why do we have so many experts that are just planted in this community? I, I, think, it's, I think it's because of, A, the weather, you know, because it is... The, I think the last place a meteorologist want to work would be San Diego. And you've got, why in the world would... Well, because the weather's the same every day, or Hawaii, or Phoenix. Uh, you want variety. You want a challenge forecasting. If you don't, then those jobs are open for you. But uh, A, the community. Uh, well, B, the community. Uh, a, the uh, of the weather. But the fact that is a great town to live in. It's always been, like I said, it was one of the things I wanted to do was to work here just because the weather is so very variant and uh, storms. I mean, the fact that we do have blizzards, we do have tornadoes, we have hailstorms, we everything you read about in the meteorological textbook, minus hurricanes, and we even get some of those sometimes just after they're done uh, somewhere else, we get here. And so you really do literally get to see it all. I want to talk about the weather itself. I, I get the sense, and, and this is just me as an observer. Um, I remember, you know, we used to talk about Amarillo and the Texas Panhandle as Tornado Alley, you know, and severe mm. weather. And every April, May, June, July, you could expect just storms and storms and storms. And it seems like that's been 
shifting a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, the last 20 years, or at least since I've been aware of it, that maybe Oklahoma City gets a lot more tornadoes, it feels like, than we used to. Are you seeing a change like in the weather pattern? Having focused on it for 20 years, is it different now than it was back in the 90s? Um, or is I, that just because I'm observing it differently? Yeah, well, I think a lot of people are, are observing it, you know, are, are taking note, kind of watching things closer. I think there's been some more more drought than we've had recently, and and there's a lot that goes into that too. Uh, we've had some pretty wet years. Mm-hmm. We've, yeah, I think probably we've seen some more extremes of drought and or rain. We had in 2015 over 40 inches of rain, which is unheard of, and we averaged 20. So having double your average rainfall is is pretty extreme. 2011 was the worst was the driest year ever on our on record. Uh, officially only seven inches of rain, but you know I live in West Amarillo. I think only had about five, and some our school net sites only had three for the whole year. And so, I think we are seeing extremes. I, I know there's a whole lot of debate as to the cause of that mm-hmm. and and why, but it, it has been. And I will go over the last couple of years. I think we have seen more tornadoes off to the to the east of us, and I think uh, I even read something in the paper has tornado alley shifted. I, I don't know that it has. I, it, Weather is cyclical, and it always has been. So I don't know that we can just rubber stamp and say, okay, that's the way it's going to be from here on out, because it very well can change and revert quick. Mm -hmm. I think we're finding out there's a lot of things about this planet we didn't know. Uh, Ocean temperatures and how it affects the weather is, I think, probably number one on the list. You know, back in the, I would say, in the 90s when I was just getting to meteorology, the word La Nina and El Nino weren't uttered as much or talked about as much because we really didn't know a whole lot about it. We knew El Nino happened about once every seven years. I never heard of La Nina. Uh, now it's, it's now you have farmers probably asking you about it, you yes. know, on the street. Yeah, just because it's those kinds of things impact everything that happens here. And we didn't know that the temperature of the Atlantic would affect the weather in Europe. You know, now you know we have our La Nina and El Nino. Well, they have the Atlantic oscillation, is what they call it. Uh, and so that affects the weather there. And so they're watching the Atlantic temperatures like we're watching temperatures in the Pacific. So, you know, the one thing I think a lot of people don't realize about weather is it, it is a science. It's an evolving science. It's still not a perfect science. But we're learning things just like the medical field is about our craft. And it affects our forecast and technology and how we, you know, deal with the weather on a daily basis. I, I want to talk a little bit about what your job is beyond what people see on TV. Mm. So, you know, you might be on the five and six and 10 newscasts. And so people get the idea, oh, well, the weather guy, he's working a couple hours a day. That must be a nice, <laughs> cushy job. I wish. But you're not, you know, yeah. you've, so so tell me about the things that you're doing when we don't see you on yeah. TV. One of the big things, uh, when, I, when I came here in 97, and like I said, Jason Laney was the chief meteorologist then. Jason had an idea of trying to put weather stations in schools. And I had done something similar in Waco uh, when I was down there. We were starting to do that same kind of program there. And he left in March of 98, and so it kind of fell in my lap. And so I kind of really deployed our SchoolNet program, and that's putting weather stations in schools all across the area. And really the goal was threefold. One was to have a hands-on learning tool for the kids in their classroom. The second thing was to have a weather station in a town like Derazette or Follett or Bushland uh, that weren't getting mentioned on the news Mm -hmm. every night. And then the third was for us is to have those locations so that when we had a storm hit, 
we could have an accurate measurement of rainfall and wind speed and things like that. We started with 45 stations and we deployed them. We didn't debut them on air. I went out and installed these things. We, I think it was April 98, late April 98, we debuted it and the phone just rang from superintendents and teachers and school board members and even some students saying, hey, we want one of those in our school. And so it just blew up from that. And now we're up to 197 weather stations. I'm putting in two more, you know, soon and we're approaching 200. And now I've got sky cams. We've got cameras in a lot of these places so that we can show the weather. We've got 43 of those. And my job is maintaining all that. So I've had to learn learn a whole lot of tech things. Yeah. Know? So, you, I mean, you're actually installing. I mean, yes. you're you're up on the roof of a school putting in a weather station. Yes. Right? Uh, or sometimes, one time I had to climb a water tower. My boss told me not to do that anymore. I said, okay, that's good. It was kind of scary. You know, yes, I've done that. And uh, that's part of what I do. I mean, at least one day a week, sometimes two. I will be out driving around. Uh, yesterday I drove up to, well, you know, I've been in Morse, uh, Hereford, Spearman, Canadian. I was uh, in the Eastern Panhandle. So I do a whole lot of traveling. My, my company car gets a whole lot of miles on it, and that's okay. It's, it helps me, too, to see the Panhandle, see the people. I've met thousands of people uh, with through either schools or putting in uh, these cameras. It's a neat thing. I think it helps. And then when I have a severe weather event in a certain area, I can go, and a great example, there's a little red farmhouse, a schoolhouse north of Pampa. One night we had a tornado in that area, and it just it dawned on me, hey, that's where that red schoolhouse is. And I mentioned this on air. I said, hey, this tornado is right by that old schoolhouse that's on the road that goes out to Perry LaForce Airport. I had more comments about that. People said, oh, yeah, I remember that place. And how do you remember that? Well, I drove by it all the mm-hmm. time. I actually stopped and read the historical marker. It's called the Wayside Schoolhouse. Little things like that can resonate with viewers because they just think, oh, he's in Amarillo. He know what he, you know, he's never been to my town. And lots of times I have been there. And those places rely on you to talk about their weather, to warn them about things just as much as anybody here does. Right. And and it out there it might be even more important because there are fewer First responders, there are fewer mm-hmm. resources and that sort of thing. Yeah, and having grown up in a small town, it was always, it kind of graded on me that Clifton never got mentioned by mm-hmm. the Waco TV stations or Dallas, because Dallas could care less. And I don't want the people in the Panhandle to feel that way about their town, because I try to make it all a big group. Uh, should We should treat Adrian the same way we treat Amarillo, and, and we try to do that um, through our coverage. And, you know, putting a school net there is one thing. But if there's a storm coming and it's getting ready to hit Adrian with baseball hail, cut into program, we'll let them know. Sometimes that upsets the people in Portales. Sometimes that upsets the people in Amarillo. But maybe that storm comes right down on 40 and slams us. You, you, just, you just never know. I want to ask about that because I think that's something that people probably wonder about is how do you make the decision, <laughs> you know, that warning, you know, 100 people in yeah. Adrian is more important than letting somebody finished their episode of CSI Miami or whatever they're watching, because obviously those people are more important than, you know, the the last five minutes of this show, but it's making people in another city feel that sort of empathy for someone else. Uh, And I I know that's hard for people, whether logically it makes sense or not. So tell me about that. I mean, do you have rules? Do you have like a system that you follow for that? We we do. We uh, we have a policy. You know, with severe thunderstorms, uh, we will, we try if we need to cut in. And and what we'll do is it really on hail size and wind speed. If we have a storm that the hail is 
golf ball or bigger. And especially if the wind's 60 or 70 miles per hour, that's going to break through windows. That's going to cause a lot of damage. That's going to, you know, cars need to be in the garages. If that's heading toward a town, we will try to cut in and we'll try to hit the national commercial breaks. Uh, that's what I try to do. I try to hit those for severe thunderstorm warnings because that's, we're not losing money. Channel right. 7 isn't. The viewers aren't going to miss anything. And we'll try to, I'll have a director tell me my earpiece, okay, we got a minute left in this commercial break or 30 seconds. I'll try to squeeze it in that spot. So we're going to try to be as unobtrusive as we can. Tornado warnings are different. Uh, if we've got a tornado, you know, whether it's radar indicated or we've got one on the ground, we have to cut in. Mm-hmm. That's just common sense, I think. And, and I think for the most part, people understand. So we will try to really be as unobtrusive as we can. I'll give you a great example, a tornado warning that I was sitting there just twiddling my thumbs. We had an Indianapolis 500 on. I had to work. This was on a Sunday and I was working. And there was a tornado warning for Hartley County. Now, this was west of Channing. FM 767. It was radar indicated, so it wasn't on the ground yet. We had two laps left in the race. So I'm sitting there thinking, all right, what I do? So I, I waited. I made the decision to wait. I looked, and there's Dave and John. They're on the air, and they're doing their cut-ins. And I'm sitting there going, okay, but we're going to wait till the race is over. So the race finished, and I told the director, so wait. Let's do one repeat where they show the cars crossing the finish line. So we waited, and the cars crossed the finish line, and then I cut in. I got off doing the, the cut-in, and the phone rang. And it was somebody complaining, why did you cut in? The, and I mentioned, I said, sir, I waited too much till the last two laps were over. I waited till the repeat of the cars finishing the finish line was over. And then I cut in. And he was like, and then, and then he hung up. So I thought, okay, I guess I got my point across. But it's it, it's always a challenge. And it's really bad when, you know, you got something in Perryton and someone in Portales, New Mexico could care less mm-hmm. because it's so far away. And that's... One challenge our viewing area has because it is roughly the size of the state of Ohio. Right. From Portales, New Mexico to Beaver, Oklahoma, and from Clayton, New Mexico to Paducah, Texas, that whole geographical area could fit into the state of Ohio. And you could have a huge storm on one side and totally clear skies on the other side. Yes. And it's it's hard for people to understand. In, in population centers, too. I mean, our second biggest town our viewing area is Clovis. And so we really try to make sure they're covered. There's a lot of people in eastern New Mexico, but those people aren't in Amarillo, and they're not in Canadian, and they're not in Clarendon. So there has to be some level, we hope, of, of you are going, okay, this may not be affecting me today. Maybe it affects me tomorrow. And those people have to wait while he cuts into his show. And we try to, we really do try to not mess up the last two minutes of a show or a season finale or a series finale mm-hmm. or a race or a basketball game. But sometimes if it's a tornado, we have to. And, you know, we've had situations where people have died uh, in tornadoes and I've had viewer complaints and I really have to bite my tongue and just say, look, I, I know you're upset, but just stop and think about what you're saying and what you're complaining about. Because I think if you, Think about it and call me back tomorrow. You might have a different attitude. And one lady did do that. She hmm. she was very irate, just read me the right act, cussed me left and right. And uh, I, I told her that. And she called me back the next day, said, okay, I've had a chance to think about it. And I think you're right. I apologize. Please be, try to be a little less intrusive. I, I, I will. You mm-hmm. know, the government requires we do the tornado warning stuff and make sure we, we do. You can go over. You can do that too much. And there is a fine line, and we try to not cross that line. Well, and these days, if you miss something, you can find it online in most cases anyway. Yes, that's I, I want to talk about that, how that's changed. Because in you know back in the 80s, back in the 90s even, 
if people wanted to know what was happening with their local weather, that I mean, the the TV meteorologist was the place to find it. Mm-hmm. That's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. So you've got people with apps on their phones. You've got websites. People getting text alerts from the National Weather Service or following their Twitter accounts or something. So tell me how your job has changed going from, you know, I guess the mountaintop of you are the one source and now you're one of many sources. How does that impact what you do? Dramatically. It affects it dramatically. It There are some places, I, and I want to say Dallas and Austin were two that I can just right off the bat, that the TV stations, I'm told, are about 50-50. 50 people watching on air and 50% watching online. So it is that. Uh, here in Amarillo, it's not quite to that point. I think we're about 70-20 or 70-30. We're about you know, 80-20, somewhere in there. It's not quite to that point, but it's getting there. And so we have a certain audience that just watches online or via Facebook or Twitter or uh, wherever. And that's their source. They will not turn on the television. Mm-hmm. So we've had to, and, and you know, my job has changed dramatically. And you know, for example, some severe weather events uh, this spring, I will do a cut in on air and then immediately go over to my computer and do a Facebook Live. And, or sometimes I will do a Facebook Live and not cut into on air because it's a lot easier to do that. You're not offending anybody mm-hmm. by doing a Facebook Live. The response has been quite tremendous on that because people will, well, and, and two, we can take our phones into our closets, hallways, mm-hmm. bathrooms for tornado protection and we can do live stuff there and also on air that can be a lifesaver too. And that that's a good thing. So it's we've been able to use social media and, and I think really it's about 50% of my job now is digital, online, a website, Facebook. I mean, I, I will spend half my time a day after I make all the graphics for the show doing all the digital stuff. And there's a lot of it. I mean, I think we're going to be doing stuff on Alexa here for hmm. – Pretty soon. So now you can tell your, you know, little hockey puck in the corner, hey, what did Steve Kerr say the weather's gonna be like? And you will hear it. And that's yeah, we talk about a change in in the game, but it's a change TV stations are having to make. I, I think a lot of people still might have the idea that, well, you know, Steve Kirsch, he's the guy on TV, but he's got a whole team of people that are doing <laughs> all these things, you know, creating the graphics and right. posting to Facebook. But really it's it's a pretty lean weather team that you've got. And so you're yeah. doing the stuff that Nobody sees that everybody assumes there's an intern doing or something like that. And there's not. It is Amarillo is a small TV market. And so I do not have an intern. I do not have uh, a horde of people that, you know, I'm not sitting there in the corner drinking coffee while all my minions are making graphics mm-hmm. and, and doing this and that. And also, I don't have people that uh, do makeup for me. That's something else that that people think or hair because I don't have much of that either. So it, there's, there's a, a lot, lot of, more to powder, though. Right. <laughs> Glare a lot of real estate, yeah, that's <laughs> it. But it's you know, that's that's one of the things that misconceptions about, especially now Dallas or Houston. Sure, oh yeah, they've got people galore, but here we don't. And so all that digital stuff that is all the Facebook posts, all the Twitter, Instagram, all come from from me. Or you know, Delaney Worden, my my weekend meteorologist, is is usually there. Sometimes she and I will both. You know, she'll do digital while I do the on air or vice versa. If we have a tornado warning, we will usually, uh, our policy is that we have at least two meteorologists there. And of course, we have storm chasers too. They're out in the field. We're communicating with them. You know, at the end of the day, sometimes I go home and go, how do we pull that off? Mm-hmm. But it's it's teamwork. That's how you do it. Before we close this section, I, I want to go back to, you know, what you said about the community and, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons that you stayed here. 
and talk about Amarillo people. I just just to let listeners know, we have known each other for a long time. Yeah. I remember one time we our families were skiing together in Angel Fire <laughs> in the night. I mean, it was just a couple of years, I yeah. guess, after you came here. Yeah. And we were in the line to ride the lift, and people recognized you, and we're like, yeah. "Hey, Steve Kirsch!" <laughs> and and so I just imagine that that happens to you and other local TV meteorologists mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Tell me how you deal with that that level of notoriety or yeah. fame or whatever you know, depending on how they feel about you. But yeah. um, tell me what that's like. Well, I personally take it as as a good as a good thing. It's nice to be recognized. I, I listened to uh, Dusty Green when he were you interviewed him, and he was talking about the fact that you're flattered. It is flattering. It's it's neat that they. A cared enough to stop you and say, "Hey, uh, how are you doing?" And, or I watch you. That that it makes the work that goes into this job worth it. And, and you're right. I've been in Seattle, Washington, on a trip and and run into some people from Clarendon. Wow. My brother and sister in law from my mother in law's seventieth birthday party took our whole family to the Galapagos Islands. Okay, so we're in we're off the western coast of Ecuador, and I ran into a couple from Childress in the Galapagos. And my wife is like, really? <laughs> really? For, for someone from Childress is out here. But uh, it's gratifying to know that people are watching, that people care. There's plenty of people that make nasty comments, too, and that's part of it, too. It's just that's, that's the way it is. People are going to be critical. People are going to say nice things. And it's the nice things at the end of the day that make you go, okay, maybe what I'm doing is making a difference. Maybe what I'm doing... Uh, I sure don't try to take it as an ego trip because I consider it a privilege to be on TV. And I I consider it a privilege to have a job that I've always wanted to do because I've done this now, been on TV for nearly 30 years, and I don't feel like I've worked a day or two. It's just, it's flown by, it's been fun. And hopefully, you know, like you said, you save a life here or there, you try to provide a public service, and that's kind of the way I feel about my job. If you've listened to a few episodes of this podcast, you know the best guests are the storytellers. They're able to just hook you in, and it comes naturally. And I think everyone has a good story to tell, but not all of us are natural storytellers. It's the same way in business. Marketing is a form of storytelling, but whether you own a small startup or a large company, that doesn't mean the marketing aspect comes naturally to you. That's why ROI Online exists. Based in Amarillo, ROI is a team of marketing experts you would expect to look to Dallas or Boston to find, but they live here and they work here, and they'll come alongside you and help you tell the story of your business. So if you're to the point of seriously considering an upgrade to your marketing efforts, ROI could be the business growth partner to help you become the hero in your story of success as a business leader. For the price of just a single employee, you can hire an entire team of creative marketing professionals at ROI. Find them on Instagram and Facebook, or let ROI guide you to success at ROIOnline.com. ROI Online, leading the modern marketing movement. This episode is also sponsored by Excel Energy. Now, if you ever look at your electric bill, you'll see a couple different charges on there for things like sales tax. But let's focus on one of the bigger items, one that usually makes up about a third of your residential bill. It's officially known as the fuel cost factor, and that factor is shrinking. It's getting smaller for the summer, and here's why. About a decade ago, the electrical system that generates and delivers your power reached its limit of cost effectiveness. As demand grew on the system and the equipment used to serve your electrical needs aged, Excel Energy faced the need to invest in something better. 
Sure, monthly costs would increase in the short term, but in time, they believed, customers would see the payoff someday. Then an interesting thing happened, and it wasn't entirely unexpected. As electric service rates rose to cover the costs of new and updated power lines and substations, the system as a whole became more efficient. New lines opened up new power markets. More wind energy was added, which doesn't even have fuel costs associated with it. Power plants that did use fuel were fine-tuned with neural networks, whatever those are. The point is, all of this allowed the utility to produce and import greater supplies of low-cost energy and excel energy's lower fuel costs, which have dropped so low they're more than making up for the massive investments, are savings passed on directly to you. Check out all the investments Excel Energy is making in our region at powerfortheplains.com and catch up with the company on Facebook at Excel Energy Texas. Okay, we're back with uh, Steve Kirsch, the chief meteorologist at ABC7. Steve, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in whatever degree of detail you want to. Okay. Uh, so this is a new question, this first one. I've not asked this of anybody, but what's your most memorable Amarillo or Texas Panhandle weather moment, like event? Oh, wow. There have been a lot of them. Let's just put it that way. A raining mud, that's always uh, an interesting thing. Brown snow, mm-hmm. that was a new one. Uh, we did have something that happened this year I'd never seen before, which is smoke from a fire causing a cloud, which I've seen before. It's called a pyrocumulus cloud. But then that pyrocumulus cloud grew into a pyrocumulonimbus cloud, which is a thunderstorm that then produced hail and tried to produce a tornado. Wow. Uh, I've That one on the list of really, are you kidding me, in the weather field is really high up. And I tweeted out a picture of that pyrocumulonimbus cloud, and it was amazing to watch it get sent and retweeted throughout the country by fellow meteorologists. They're like, are you kidding me? This really happened. And so that is a recent event that just, I was in, it was from a fire that was near uh, Goodnight in Ashtola and in Clarendon. But I was just, uh, that to me was something that I, 30 years of doing this, never seen it before. May so never see it again. Scientifically, what happens there? I mean, do, do the smoke particles, water molecules, you know, attach to them and mm-hmm. that just starts that cloud building process? Or? Well, you know, on a normal, normal day, the sun heats the ground up. We have little columns of air that rise. And mm-hmm. as they rise, they cool and they make, clouds, cumulus clouds. And so the sun is the heat source, but with a pyrocumulus cloud, it's the heat from the fire. And you're you're right. There are some particles in that ash that in that smoke that are condensation nuclei that they can make the cloud. And and before we had this big thunderhead, smoke a fire thunderhead, uh, we'd had some pyrocumulus clouds pop up and then you know the heat from the fire would kind of settle and the cloud would go away. On this particular day, that heat, you know, rising that made that pyrocumulus cloud broke through that layer of warm air aloft, mm-hmm. the cap or lid or inversion. And so it pushed it through and actually made it into a thunderstorm. And when it was hailing in Wheeler, the folks said it was like this gray color. There was ash like in that. Smoke hail. Yeah. It, I, it, again, it was just, I said, am I really, am, is that what I'm really saying here? I just, I couldn't believe it. What's your favorite kind of local weather? <laughs> well, as a meteorologist, it's going to be the storms. Uh, but taking that meteorological stuff out of it, it's the sunrises and sunsets. I, it is just, you know, I grew up in a part of the state where we had trees and hills, and you were just blocked from seeing the sunset or sunrise. 
But out here, the wide open spaces, the, they're just gorgeous. And I think the first 10 years I was here in Amarillo, I kept sending pictures of all these. And finally, my, my family's just like, just stop. We get it. They're cool. They're great looking. And then when they would come visit me, they're like, you're right, man, you can really see the sunrise and set out here. And at night, too, with the stars, you know, get away from the cities and see that, too. It's just uh, the wide open spaces, it just uh, the, the sunrise and sunsets are amazing. Knowing what's happening with weather patterns, I mean, do you do you think oh, tonight, you know, at sunset, there's going to be a good cloud layer that's going to make for a good sunset? I mean, do you have uh-huh. like inside information when you know <laughs> there's going to be a good one tonight? I will sometimes, and I have before on air said, uh, get your get your phones ready, get get your cameras ready. There's this is going to be a gorgeous sunset or sunrise, and I think there's even a Twitter account that they will predict sunrises and sunsets I've across the that. country. Yeah. <laughs> And and lots of times it's it, they'll say okay watch out Amarillo here it comes and most of the time we're not disappointed they are they are gorgeous okay this is a question that uh, I ask every guest what does this area have too much of this is going to be and I'm not mean to be negative or anything I think we have too many crazy drivers in Amarillo um, and I'm <laughs> I it just amazes me and I I, we, I think you and I both know one person in particular has traveled the world. And he said some of the worst drivers are here in town. It's like the speed limit is a suggestion. Uh, the turn signals apparently are just <laughs> optional. And I don't know. I, I have a company car that has a chip in it that tracks me where I'm going, so I can't speed or my boss gets a text message. So I'm driving down I-40 going the speed limit or a couple miles per hour over so she doesn't get a text message. And people are passing me up like it's like I'm I'm just walking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and thinking, man, that Steve Kirsch drives too slow. He, what is he doing? Yeah, and I'm sure they're probably complaining my boss would drive too slow, but I have to. It just seems like some of the driving rules are forgotten here. And, and maybe there's, you know, because Houston, Dallas are the same way. There's some crazy drivers there, too. Uh, maybe they all moved here. I'm not real sure. But to get away from the crazy drivers. <laughs> to get away from the crazy drivers, and now they're here. <laughs> what does this area not have enough of? And along those same lines, I keep hearing and that perhaps we need more police uh, in our city and in our town. I think that's one thing that I, I don't know that the crime rate has risen because of the lack of police. I think there's just sometimes, and I keep hearing about from Chief Drain that there's a police shortage, and that kind of worries me a little bit. You do need to have a presence, a police presence. And I think perhaps having more police, and I think uh, Mayor Nelson has kind of put that on her agenda to do, and I, I, I support that. I think that's that's something a growing city our size needs. And maybe we were able to get away with a certain amount of policemen for the size that we had, but we are exploding in growth. And I think we need to match that with... uh, You don't want to have to catch up in terms of police presence. Right. Because what forces you to catch up is generally something pretty negative. It's not, yeah, you don't want to like wait for the accent to put up the stop sign. We don't want to wait for something bad to happen, but say, oh yeah, we really needed more police. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant? (laughs) Uh, and it's not because I'm a meteorologist, but it's Blue Sky. I really like that place. The burgers are, I, I like a good greasy burger. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like one that's dry, and their burgers are greasy. But the thing I like the most about Blue Sky is they have these fried jalapeno rings. And I, I like spicy foods, not over spicy, but they're good. They go great with the burger. It's just one of the places that uh, we like to go. My family has a whole lot of food allergies. I, I can't have any milk. 
my wife, uh, no wheat or milk. We have a whole lot. We just, you know. You're so one of those families. I'm that one nobody of those can families. invite over to eat. Right? Natural grocers, we, I think we've pretty much funded for the next 10 years, our family has. So that's one of the places that our family can go. And I just I love, the, love their burgers with the jalapeno rings. When you talk to people outside the area, whether it's because they're sharing, you know, some viral photo of uh, crazy clouds, um, how, do, how do you describe Amarillo to those people? Uh, the first thing I tell them is we're not close to Dallas. You know, that's the one thing, I guess. Are you, you know, are you close to Dallas? No, we're not. Uh, the second thing is I tell them we're not close to Canada either because my, my, apparently my family thinks when I moved to Amarillo that that's just a hop, skip, and jump from the Canadian border. Uh, and that's not true either. It may be closer to Canada than we are to Houston or now, someplace. That's true. That You tell them that we're closer to Denver, Colorado than our own state capital. They're yeah. like, really? Get out a map and look at it. And we are. Everyone thinks Dallas or Houston and that Amarillo's got to be real close by. They don't really think the panhandle exists or they forget that this part of the state juts up a little bit higher. And it can really fry their brain by telling them, hey, we used to go all the way to Wyoming, by the way, before mm-hmm. we had to give up some of that land. They're like, really? Yeah, this is what's left after all that. <laughs> when was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch? It's been about uh, three or four years ago. My son, my sons uh, had a project they had to do at school. And my nephew that lives down in Houston, he had a, a remember the Flat Stanley thing? Oh, yeah. That, Flat that, Stanley. Flat yeah. Stanley. So he sent Flat Stanley to to Amarillo, and we took Flat Stanley out to the Cadillac Ranch and took some pictures there. And some, uh, my wife took Flat Stanley downtown, and we took him all around Amarillo. And uh, I think he made an A on that. I hope he did. When was the last time you wore cowboy boots? Uh, last night. I I have a pair of boots. I have about three of my suits that I have boot cut just so I can wear my boots. I have very skinny feet. And so boots, I have a pair of Justin ropers, and they fit perfect. I think, gosh, I got them when I was back in Abilene. So they're probably about 20, 23, 24 years old, well broken in. I mm-hmm. think I've resold them once or twice, uh, but they are some of my favorites, and I I wear them, gosh, probably at least once a week with the suits that I have. Are you one of those uh, weather guys that, that just wears like a suit up top and then shorts on the no. bottom? or? No, no, I won't. I won't mention Lee Baker. Who in our, uh, who we have at the station, Lee Baker, that does wear shorts when he does the sports, Lee Baker. But uh, yeah, that's that's one person that does do that, and it's not. But you're funny. not. You're not hidden behind a desk a lot of time. No, you're up and I'm I'm in front of a wall, and and the way that the shot is set, you I have to wear. So- Slack. So we don't but. see your boots, but we do see that you're wearing <laughs> pants. So. That, that's that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Steve. That concludes the uh, the eight straight. I like to end every episode by asking my guests to endorse something mm-hmm. uh, related to the area. So, what is something that you would want listeners to know about, or experience, or be aware of? I think the Powder Canyon is something that our area endorses. It, it's the one thing that we have in common here in the Panhandle. You know. Folks in Perryton, folks in Spearman, folks in Tulia, folks in Bovina can say, you know what, the, the Powder Canyon is a, is a neat panhandle place to visit. And a lot of folks downstate don't know about it. I mean, you say, tell people, hey, you know, it's the second biggest canyon in the U.S. behind that, you know, hole in the ground over in Arizona. And they're like, really? And so they come and visit it. And it's like, wow, that's really cool. I had some friends in Waco that came up here and and they said driving east from Canyon, and then all of a sudden the ground just opens up. And you're like, where did this come from? And then you you go up to the vantage point and you view and you look around, and you're like, wow, this is really neat. 
So I think that's one thing that the Panhandle has that we could maybe promote a little more. I think the Play Texas does a great job in getting people here and getting to kind of learn some of the history of it and, and our area. But I think there needs to be something out on I-40 or I-27 saying, hey, the second biggest canyon in the country is down this road. And maybe that will increase some of the folks that come and visit our area and want to stay. I, I know a lot of your previous guests have talked about all the tourists and, and folks on I-40. Give them another reason to stay a few hours or maybe a day here and, and, and go visit that because it's a neat thing. It really is. Steve Kirsch, thanks for being on Hey Amarillo. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to ROI and Excel Energy for sponsoring yet another episode. And also to Steve Kirsch for sitting down with me. You can find Steve uh, on your TV, on Facebook, um, on Twitter, all over the place. Uh, It shouldn't be too hard. You can also find this podcast online at heyamarillo.com, at heyamarillo on Twitter and Facebook, and on Instagram at Podcast. If you like this episode, if you like the show altogether, um, share it with somebody. Leave a review, help spread the word. I appreciate that you listen, and I'd love to continue growing this audience so more and more people can learn about the amazing things and the amazing individuals and personalities uh, who choose to live here and make their homes here. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.